So if you're visiting with us this morning, as you said, I'm Clint Wilson. I'm not Brian Anderson. I'm not the one you've heard about all these times your friends have telling you that this, you've got to come hear the preacher. I've been there. Like you've come to visit this church for the first time and you get the youth pastor. And you're like, what? Just, just kidding, Will. It wasn't you. It was Joby. <laughs> But this time you get the music guy, which that's at like the bottom of the barrel, right? But no, I'm thankful to be in a church that values the preaching of the word of God, that it's not about a man, not about a pastor. It's about the man who was God, Jesus Christ. And we exalt him, um, all of us as pastors here at Perimeter Road. So I invite you now to turn your Bible to Psalm 127 and please stand as we read God's word. Psalm 127, it's on page 518. If you want to use the black hardback Bible there in front of you, and if you do not have a copy uh, of the Bible that you can understand for yourself, you are welcome to take that one with you as a gift uh, from us. Page 518, Psalm 127. Hear the word of the Lord. A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is God's word. You may be seated. It's always a great privilege and a fearful thing to bring the word of God to the gathered people of God. And it is those things intensified to do so specifically addressing those among us who bring so much vitality, so much honor and beauty to our church, namely our mothers. Ladies, I stand before you today with this message from the Lord Jesus in his word. And the message is this, you matter. You are loved and you are not alone. You may feel insignificant. You may feel taken for granted. You may even feel lonely in a house full of people. But none of these are true realities. The world, the flesh, the devil may scream in your ear that you are not important, that you're just a mom, that your calling isn't worth the effort. But God says otherwise. You see, in Psalm 127, the Lord is reminding his people, men and women, girls and boys, married or single, rich or poor, the Lord is reminding his people that his gracious provision brings hope and peace in all of their labors. So mom and everyone else, 
Listen closely to the word this morning. God is eager to speak to you. So let's pray that he would do so. So God, we pray now that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have to say to us this morning. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. So this psalm falls in a collection of psalms uh, known as the Psalms of Ascents. These are Psalms 120 through 134. These are songs that were sung by the ancient Israelites um, as they would make their pilgrimage up to Jerusalem for the three religious festivals of the year. They would have to make a trek uh, to Jerusalem three times a year, and these are the songs they would sing on their journey. These are hill, hymns of pilgrimage, hymns for climbing a mountain. Jerusalem was literally sat at the top of a mountain. They're hymns for climbing a mountain to reach the presence of God, namely the temple. And isn't that motherhood? Isn't that life? Don't you feel like a pilgrim climbing up a mountain that is life with that distant heavenly city in view? You know that God has promised good things to those who seek him. But along the way, you feel weary and forgotten and forsaken. These hymns serve to remind us what is true reality. They take our eyes off of ourselves and they lift them to him who loves us. They remind us of the fact that how we feel isn't always how we are. So let's look at the text together. And if it helps you to know kind of where we're going um, with this, here's my outline. Uh, verse one, true reality. Verse two, working in awareness of true reality. Verse three, true reality again. Verse four through five A, parenting in awareness of true reality. And verse five B, a promise. True reality, working in awareness of true reality. True reality, once again, parenting now in awareness of true reality and a promise. So verse one, true reality. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. What we learn in this verse is that in true reality, there are always at least two workers. There's the one who builds the house and then there's the Lord building the house. Notice the scripture says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it. So there's the Lord building and those who build it building. There's the watchman who literally stays awake, securing the city. And there's also the Lord watching over the city. And this is what theologians refer to as primary and secondary causality. Primary and secondary causality. See, many times we can think that there is only one cause of everything. Like I made that sound. That was the only cause of that. We're well aware of the fact that we are building a house. I mean, we're swinging the hammer all day in the hot sun. And sometimes we hit our thumbs with that hammer and beautiful poetry comes out of our mouths. I mean, we actually stay awake all night long and we watch over the city. 
But what scripture is reminding us is that there is more to the story. And guys, this is why we need the Bible so much. We need the Bible because one of the major purposes of special revelation, which is what the Bible is, special revelation is to reveal to us that which we wouldn't know and couldn't know otherwise. So this Psalm is telling us that we aren't alone in our labor. In fact, it tells us that we aren't even the primary ones working. God is the primary worker. The scripture says, unless the Lord builds the house. So the Lord is the determining factor here. All of our hammering and sawing and sanding and painting and blood and sweat and tears is pointless. It's vain. It will fall. Unless the Lord builds your family, unless the Lord builds your career or even yourself, it will never flourish. Unless the Lord watches over the city, it is never safe. Mamas, listen up. Unless the Lord watches over your children, you can never provide for their safety. You can't buy a nice enough car seat. You can't lock down their computers enough. You can't educate them enough to keep them out of the hands of the enemy. And you say, Clint, this isn't very comforting. Well, let's consider the reverse implications. What if he does? What if he does build your family? What if he does watch over your children? What if the Lord is actively involved in your life? Then the reverse is true. It cannot fail. So no matter how many times you bust your thumb while building the house, no matter how many times you doze off while keeping watch, the Lord who created the heavens and the earth with a word is there picking up the slack. and He isn't even disappointed. He's glad to do it. Now, verse two, working in light of this true reality. What we know should shape what we do. What we know should shape what we do. So last week, Jared Wilson stated in the Gospel Project in our community groups that doing flows from being. Doing flows from being. So since the success of all of our endeavors is determined primarily by the sovereign will and work of God, we will not be workaholics. We will not be worry warts. We will not be helicopter parents. Verse two says, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. You see, knowing that you're not the primary worker should lead to rest, not anxiety. Do you see your self-identity as beloved? If you are in Christ, you are as loved by the Father as he is. And that should be your identity, as beloved. And God is a father who loves perfectly. I remember when Haddon was a baby 
and he was hitting that stage where he was beginning to fight sleep for the first time, not because he was uh, in pain or hungry. He just didn't want to go to sleep. And I remember wanting so badly for him to rest. One, because I wanted so badly to rest. (laughs) But for more righteous reasons, I wanted him to experience the peace of sleep. And I remember thinking as I was holding him in my arms, thinking, this is me. Like I toss and turn through life, avoiding the sleep that God wants for me because I think I might miss out on something better. And so God puts us to sleep each night. And our sleep each night is an important message from God. Have you ever thought of it that way? That each time you go to sleep, it is a message from God. God so wants us to understand that we aren't the center of the world, that he makes us go literally unconscious for at least a third of our life so that we'll wake up each morning and go, whoa, the world kept spinning without me. That's right. God builds the house. God watches over the city. And God gives to his beloved sleep. I appreciate Matthew Henry's definition of sleep in this context. He says, it's quietness and contentment of mind and comfortable enjoyment of what is present and comfortable expectation of what is to come. It's a comfortable enjoyment of what is present, what is now, and a comfortable expectation of what is to come. Because God is the primary worker in true reality, all of our work can be done with an enjoyment of the moment and with a great hope for the future, even when things are hard, because God is good and God loves us. So whatever yoke the Lord has given you in life, know that it is fit well for you. It is crafted for you. For Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So mothers, whatever burden you are carrying right now, Jesus is here. He's here saying to you, dear beloved, I know this providence may seem heavy, may even, maybe even more than you can bear, but know this, my bride, that I am carrying the heaviest part. I have borne your heaviest load, the guilt of your sin. I took it to the cross and it was sufficiently satisfied. And now I'm here with you through my Holy Spirit to bear you up in my arms and to carry your weary feet to the glory I have prepared just for you. So don't be anxious. Do not stress. I am Emmanuel, God with us. Christian, don't worry about tomorrow. Do not waste the vitality that the Lord has given you in anxiousness. Don't waste what could be done with life and joy by doing it in anxiousness and anxious toil. 
men. Stop killing yourself. Stop killing yourself by working well into the night and rising early to continue working to the neglect of your family and your own spiritual health. It isn't helping anything. In fact, scripture says it's vanity. You're only robbing yourself of the joy of being God's beloved. Mothers, are you spending hours reading every mommy blog possible, anxious about sleep schedules and milestones? Are your children's clothes lined with bubble wrap and is dirt under their nails the mark of the beast? Rest, sleep, God is building, God is watching. So if God is the primary worker, does that mean that what we do doesn't really matter? I mean, if he's the main one, why does our work have any meaning at all? The question you should be asking is, do you want fulfillment in your work? Do you want fulfillment in your work? Do you want to know that what you do matters? Understanding this true reality, that God is the primary worker and you are only secondary, actually increases the significance of your life. Because it's no longer just you. It's God working through you. What this means is that everything you do can be and is in reality a work of God. Everything you do is a work of God. See, the work of God isn't limited to pastors. It's not limited to clergy. The work of God is every work done by the people of God. Martin Luther said, God doesn't need your works, but your neighbor does. And a shoemaker once asked him how he could glorify God in his job. And Luther didn't say, you know, so John 3.16 somewhere in there uh, where people will see it when they're putting on their shoes. What he said was, make a good shoe and sell it at a fair price. See, God is working in the mundane. God is working in every little moment. So every diaper you change, every mess you clean, every meal you prepare, every boo-boo you kiss is a gift of grace from God to your children. When you're alone with a newborn at 3 a.m. who will not stop crying, God is rocking him and you. And when they head off to college, God is helping them to pack their bags and inviting them to call anytime they're in need. And when they become parents, God is in the waiting room, eager to celebrate and to give them invaluable advice. And sometimes they go too soon. And God is holding their hand through the valley of the shadow of death. And he fears no evil. Church, we are pilgrims. We are climbing a mountain. We are ascending the hill of the Lord. And we are not alone.
He hasn't forgotten us. We are his beloved. So work hard. It matters. Work well. Work in peace. So the next half of this psalm is in parallel to the first half. I mean, we see the same rhythms and the same patterns and the same themes played out. In verse 3, we see another reminder of true reality. Remember, Scripture is showing us something that we wouldn't normally and naturally see. And what is that in verse 3? Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Do you see the two workers? It's a little harder to see here, but it's there. Children are the fruit of the womb, right? They're the natural result of human relationships. What happens when mommy and daddy go to bed early and rest? There's a natural cause and effect there. Yet, the scripture shows us that they are from the Lord. That they are from him as a reward. So now we have to pause here just a second for an important, a very important sidebar discussion here. If children are a reward from God, does that mean barren men and women are cursed? Seems logical. Many people stress and struggle with this. In fact, most cultures in history have held that understanding of barrenness and infertility. Most except for Christians. You see, Christians have never held that view. In fact, Jesus himself disposes of such thinking in John chapter 9, the first three verses. He was walking by and he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Meaning, who caused the curse? Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus taught that whatever providence you experience is designed by God to maximize his glory in the world. All women are indeed designed by God to be mothers, even if not biological or adoptive, because to mother is a verb. Mothering is something you do. All women are designed by God to mother, to nurture life. And maybe God has closed your womb or called you to a season of singleness in order to free you up for the service of the church. And does that seem, like I'm saying this, does that seem like you got the short end of the stick? I mean, I could put myself in those shoes and think that, that I got the short end of the bargain. But God is glorified in this. He, there's no distinction in God. Here's a great example. This is from a friend of mine um, who posted on Facebook a while back. He actually attended here for a while. But he grew up in a home without a father. And uh, his words are so encouraging and relevant here. 
He says, there are days when my heart aches with longing for the presence of a father in my life. But then I remember that I have a hundred. Older men and women, your involvement in the lives of younger men and women means more than you realize. Your role in the church is vital to the upbringing and nourishment of the next generation of people who will herald the gospel of Christ in their homes, vocations, and in the world. Earnestly, thank you. You see, it's not in vain. It matters. God is working. God is ministering to the deepest needs of this young man through the men in the church. And not all of the hundred he referred to are natural fathers, nor are they even married, but they are committed to the discipleship of the next generation for the glory of Christ. And you can be too. Like if that's your objective, the glory of Christ and the discipleship of the next generation, whether it's from the fruit of your womb or the fruit of someone else's womb, we are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all one in this body and we all have our job to do. So older women, please hear this. You are so valuable. Don't don't check out. Don't waste your golden years. As the husband of a younger woman, I appreciate your example and involvement in this local church. It's been so beneficial to our marriage. And I strongly exhort you to dive in deeper. Give your life to the young women of this church. Be ferociously committed to the upcoming women's Bible study this summer or a shop group because your time and your energy, as little as it may be at this stage in life, is valuable. It's valuable. God can do a lot with a little. In fact, he loves to do it that way. That's his preferred strategy. Young women, don't feel relegated to the back of the line here. You are desperately wanted and needed. The church is not the boys club. (laughs) We desperately want you and need you. And not just to watch the children. And not just to cook the meals. Those are beautiful. Those are even God-ordained things, and we're thankful for them. But we want your wisdom. It's needed. Your lives of holiness, your passion for the gospel for all people, your elegance, your majesty. All of these things reflect the glory of God. And if there's one thing we need more of, it's the glory of God. And girls, young girls, I plead with you especially do not lose sight of the beauty of becoming a woman. There's great beauty in being a woman. Don't let the culture lie to you. You are so special. God has created you for a high purpose. It's okay to be satisfied with growing up to be just a wife and a mother. And honestly, that's the most offensive phrase, just a wife and a mother. That's a high calling. And you can do it. You can. You can do it. God will be with you. Okay. That's the end of the sidebar. So let's get back to the text. Verse 4. 
like arrows in the hand of a warrior or the children of one's youth. So there's one thing I want us to get excited about, like to be pumped up about and to put into action. It is this, that those children over there and these in these pews are arrows. And your job, mom, and our job, church, is to sharpen arrows. Arrows to sling into the heart of the enemy for the cause of Christ. Mothering is arrow making. Remember, God's purposes are much bigger than your family. God is conquering the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the chief warrior who goes before his people preparing the battlefield for victory. There is a militant nature to the church. Though we preach and practice peace, we have an enemy with whom we are raging war. And what good is a military without weapons? I know some of you in the room build weapons for the United States Air Force. Pretty cool and scary job all at the same time. And I mean, those jets are pretty cool, right? Those jets are really cool but they're pretty pointless without weapons to deploy. The Lord is revealing to us here that one of his main strategies in defeating the enemy is using the children of believers as arrows. And ultimately, moms, your children aren't yours. They are God's. And he has given them to you for a season to sharpen and to prepare for battle. And making arrows is a rather violent process. And you're banging a big rock against a little rock until the smaller rock is sharpened into an arrow. Isn't that parenting? A big person crashing against a little person in order to sharpen them. I mean, at least it feels that way sometimes. And sometimes you mess up. Their sharp edges poke you, then you come down too strongly breaking the fragile tip. What then? Well, you remember that you aren't the only one building, that you're only the secondary arrow maker. You apologize, you repent of any sinful motives and get back to work, trusting that the primary arrow maker will bring what he begun to completion. Now, in an increasingly secular culture, in a culture that is becoming more and more hostile to the Christian faith, we need powerful weapons. Maybe a few generations ago, in a time of less hostility, we were okay with raising 22 long rifles. But today, we need 30 millimeter cannons strapped to the front of an A-10, piercing the heart of the enemy with a rate of gospel fire at 70 rounds a second. So mothers, fathers, prepare your children for war. It's our mission statement. Prepare our children for war. Teach them the Bible. Teach them the faith once delivered to the saints. Teach them what we believe and why we believe it. And as pastors, we are here to help you. But we can't do what God has called and designed you to do. 
If you don't know theology, learn alongside of them. The historic catechisms, such as the ones that we use with our children, uh, are rich with deep, heart-stirring theology. And the best way to learn is to teach. So start today. Jump in. God will meet you there. And if your children are arrows in the hands of a warrior, what this means, mom, is that one day you're going to have to let go. For an arrow to do its job, you can only hold on to it for so long and you have to let go. And if you have this view of motherhood as parenting with a great goal and purpose, mothering as arrow making, it will be your joy to let go when that day comes. It will be the moment that all your hard days and your tear-filled nights were preparing for. It will be pure joy to watch that arrow fly, guided by the wind of our sovereign God. Now, before we go further, we need to be corrected by the scripture. And there are two corrections to our cultural view of children and parenting in these verses. The, verse, the first is in verse four, the children of one's youth. Young parents, do not be ashamed of having children early in life. This is God's design. And young married couples, don't let anyone tempt you in viewing children as a burden and not a blessing at any point in life. If you're poor, it has been said that he that sends mouths will send meat if we trust him. Pour your energy into fashioning arrows now. And one day when you're old, they will be there with strength in your weakness. God knows what he's doing. The other correction we need to hear is blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Blessed. This word is the Hebrew word esher, which carries the same sense of our English word happy. It's the equivalent to makarios in the New Testament in the Greek, uh, which carries the sense of happy. It's used in the Beatitudes. You know, blessed are the peacemakers. It's the old, old meaning of blessed, which carries the idea of happiness. Our culture says, don't have too many kids. It will limit your freedom, your ability to travel, and your me time. You can have two or three to fulfill your evolutionary desires and to take pictures of for Instagram. But any more than that, and you're just a weirdo. Like, here comes the people with the van. <laughs> but all the while, God is saying to us, fill your quiver with them. You want happiness? You want security and a future? I want to give that to you with children. They are a heritage from the Lord, a reward. Happy is he who fills his quiver with him. And church, I encourage you upon the authority of this word of God that when you hear derogatory statements towards large families in our church, shut it down. See, I've never heard an elderly man surrounded by his large family express regret for having too many kids. But I have heard many express regret that they didn't have more while they were young. Again, 
God knows what he's talking about. He created us. He wants us to be happy. And he says to us, happy is the man who fills his quiver with children. As we come to an end, this psalm ends with a promise. Oh, thank God for the promises in his word. So let's read the last half of verse five together. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. He will not be put to shame. Your work is worth it. It is so worth it. And I want all of the mothers in the room to look up. All the mothers who are tired, who feel trapped, like they will never get out of the cycle of being needed, of giving when there's nothing left to give. I want you to listen closely to this promise. Your labor is not in vain. There will be a day, Lord willing, when you will face your greatest enemy. Death will confront you. Satan will accuse you. And you will look back over your shoulder and there will be your adult children full of life. The sun glinting off their well-sharpened edges and they will say to you, Mom, we've got your back. For Jesus will say to you, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. It's worth it. As the band comes up, we get ready to sing. Let us sing as weary pilgrims, walking on our way to that celestial city where, behold, our God will live with us and be our steadfast light. And we shall ere his people be All glory be to Christ. Let's pray. Oh God, we're thankful for your word. We are thankful that you have not left us in the dark. You've not left us to feel forsaken and abandoned as if we were the only ones. But you have surrounded us with each other. You have surrounded us with children. God, we pray that we would not take this calling lightly. God, I pray that you would lift the burden of the weary mothers. Give them life and vigor. Lord, I pray that we would herald the beauty of women, that we would not be oppressive, that we would not be macho, that we would be men, but that we'd be Christ-like men. God, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts, that we would sharpen the best arrows, the sharpest arrows, and they would fly to the four corners of the earth as the glory of Christ covers the earth, as the waters cover the sea, and that is the day for which we long. So we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.